All right. Well, so good to see all of you. Uh, we are beginning a brand new series, which I think a number of you are relieved that we are done with uh, Leviticus. And uh, yeah, some hand clapping, um, head nodding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, we are... Uh, we're going to do um, through the book. We're going to go through the book of Mark, and that'll be the Gospels. We'll just do that for the Gospels, and then we'll do something back into the Old Testament. But for now, uh, let's uh, jump into uh, into. First of all, let me just explain to you very briefly what is a gospel. You know, you get your Gospels, you've got the Epistles. Uh, what's the difference? Um, well, the Gospels. If you've read them before, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are look like history, right? It looks like historical events. Uh, Jesus did this, Jesus said that, the people responded this way, and on and on and on it goes. Except that when you read the Gospels, you find why there are so many repeat stories between the four of them. Like, I already read that once, why do I need to read it again? And then... Um, uh, and some have actually, it's funny because some editors have actually done uh, the Gospels with no repeats, like one book with no repeats, just the stories. Uh, but there's a reason why these authors do that, and uh, we would miss out on a whole lot. Um, so that's w one of the uh, questions is, is this historical? Is that what a Gospel is? It does contain history, but different from the way we think of history. When we think of history, there's a lot of similarities, but in the key differences are that we think of it as getting all the facts correct, getting all the data um, accurate, making sure that we know the chronology. This happened first, this second, this third. In the ancient world, they didn't really care about that. That wasn't as important to them. What was more important to them was, what are we trying to communicate by telling these stories? And so uh, an epistle is a sort of direct way of saying something. So think of a PowerPoint presentation with bullet points. It's just going through it, telling you what the author believes and thinks about this particular subject. Whereas the Gospels, it's more like a painting. It's intended to give you an image that you then have to discern, what does this mean? What is the author trying to communicate? And that's what the Gospels do. Um, and so that's the reason why some of you prefer epistles and some prefer Gospels. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about Mark. Who is Mark? Uh, we don't know too much about him. But what we uh, can know and what we have learned from the brief references to him is that he was a friend of Peter and his mom, Mary, owned a large house. And because she owned a large house in the ancient world, it meant that she had money and people oftentimes gathered there. The disciples and Jesus did. And Mark's mother, Mary, was oftentimes the host. And so Mark, therefore, would have also been there present listening to what was going on, but he wasn't a direct disciple of Jesus. He just pulled away with the disciples and had these more intimate conversations. Mark was absent from that. So what he did was he learned a lot from his friend, his mentor, Peter. And then he wrote down this book. What's unique about the book of Mark is that it moves so quickly. It's the shortest gospel. It's only 16 chapters. And it moves so quickly. If you've already started reading, you realize it's like one story, boom, next, boom, next, boom, next. It just keeps going with very little commentary at all, unlike the other gospel writers. He also uses this word immediately quite a bit, 40 times. 
and his use of the word immediate to what he's doing because he's moving from one story rapidly to the next. There's a, there's a hurriedness to it. And then it slows down right around the point where he gets to the crucifixion. And he spends more time on the crucifixion percentage-wise than any of the other gospel writers do. And so he seems to lean into that, and that's, that's more important to him. Third thing that you need to know about Mark is that Mark was probably, well, Mark was, uh, was uh, most likely a, uh, a Roman. Mark, the name Mark, is a Roman name. It is the third most popular Roman name in the ancient world. Mark means God of, of Mark. And so Mark, being raised undoubtedly by a Roman dad, uh, has this name, is an outsider in some sense, but then begins to, you know, have opportunities because his mother has a big house and is a follower of Jesus. Mark is also a follower, but sort of one of the many who did so, not one of the disciples. And so Mark can relate to being both a Roman who is on the outside of things, but also not quite on the inside the way Peter was and probably wanted to be on the inside and observe more, or maybe not, we, we don't know. Uh, but certainly when he writes this gospel, he is writing perspective and he is writing not to Jewish people, but to Gentile people, non-Jewish people. Uh, and, uh, and so that's a little bit of, of Mark. Uh, I'll give you the quick overview. You may have seen it in our, on our Facebook page. We put the Bible Project uh, up there again and uh, the stuff that they do on the book of Mark. And they break out Mark into three sections. And so we'll kind of follow along with that as well. The first section of Mark to chapter 8 is about Jesus in Galilee. The second section is about Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. And that's from chapters 8 to, I think, 11. From there, it's Jesus in Jerusalem uh, to the end of the book. By way of introduction into what I want to talk about this morning, I had a conversation yesterday with a woman who had been raised in a very conservative, very religious, very uh, rules-based environment, church world. And uh, she <clears throat> had also been told that in order to be a good follower of Jesus, and what women should do is to serve everyone else and uh, to suck it up because that's what good Christian women do, serve other people. Now, the whole larger message was everybody should serve each other, but that's a little bit more emphasized when it comes to women. That's, that's kind of the message that she was raised with. She wasn't seeking to blame anybody. In fact, she kept defending uh, her upbringing and, uh, and wanted to uh, bring the best out of them, but was struggling because she said to me at the end, she said, my, my problem is she had maintained her composure right up until this point. And then she broke down and began to weep and said, I just don't know who I am. And I've never known who I am. I've been lost for so long. Is there any way I could discover who I am? And it broke my heart as I heard that. And I thought to myself, boy, is it true for so many that we don't know who we are? We, the identity is a, is a big key piece. But then I reflected on more than just her and other people. I don't struggle nearly as much with the issue of identity, although it was raised very similarly. For mine, it was more purpose. What's my purpose? What am I supposed to do in this world? So me, I, I tend to think more about that. 
But if you were to think of all the inspirational books that have been written, Your Best Life Now, Purpose Driven Life, what two issues do they commonly address? The biggest, most, you know, big selling books, big selling sermons and televangelists and so on. The two issues that are most commonly addressed is who you are and what you're to do on this earth, identity and purpose. And so it is so fascinating to me that as I began studying the book of Mark and reading the scholars and their reflections on it, that the two dominant questions that Mark seeks to address is, who is Jesus and what was he here to do? Interesting, isn't it? Identity, purpose. As if we all have these issues of identity and purpose, of wrestling occasionally with them, regularly with them, what is my purpose? What am I doing that is actually helpful in this world, useful in this world? And who am I? And so when John begins his gospel, he begins right away by addressing this very issue of identity and purpose. Let's take a look at the first chapter of Mark. And if you have your Bibles with you, you have it on your phone, you're, uh, you're able to do uh, look up Bible Gateway or your app, uh, Matt, Mark chapter 1, and we're going to look at uh, Mark chapter 1 all the way to verse, from verse 1 to verse 11. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, voice wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out to the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness, 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. That when things seem to be going good as you're reading, suddenly there's a twist, and it goes not so good. Like, this was going good for a while with Mark, like, oh, Jesus comes up out of the water, heaven opens up, and the angels are singing, and Jesus is God's beloved son, and then he has to go into the desert to be tempted for 40 days. 
I mean, this is the way you read, this is the way the gospels are written, isn't it? It's just like this up and down, this up and down, this up and down. It's the story of our lives. And so the book of Mark is not an escape. It is actually a way back into the story of our lives, but perhaps with a different understanding with the heavens being opened for us to actually see. That's the metaphor. Heavens open means you actually see differently. You see what has always been, but you have never been able to see it. And now you can see it. And because you see differently, you respond differently. But it's not that you're avoiding the human life. You're actually engaging fully in all of human life. So let's begin with where we began. John chapter or Mark chapter one. This is the beginning of the good news, right? That he is being, uh, he is going to be coming. John is saying he's coming. Well, I'm here to prepare the way. But this person who's coming, who John doesn't know at this moment, before he, uh, Jesus appears to him, John does not know that it is Jesus, his cousin. And so John says, this person is so great, so amazing, that as popular as I am, and John the Baptist was enormously popular in his day. He had so many followers that even the religious leaders who hated him but feared him because of the people. He is so powerful, so impactful, so amazing as a leader that he's got all these followers. And he says, if you think I'm amazing, the one that's coming after me is greater than me. So great that I'm not even worthy to undo his sandals. Now, even rabbis would never ask their disciples to undo their sandals. That was so menial, so uh, shameful of a duty that they would never do that. And John says, this is how great he is compared to me. You think I'm great. This is him. This is how amazing this one is. Right. And so now he set this up, right? This is a big setup. You can't disappoint if you're Jesus, right? The big setup. Well, Jesus shows up. And uh, it, it, it goes like this. At the time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Let me just stop here because it, it, most of us don't understand how this is comedy. Remember I said we're going to be looking at this series through the lens of comedy, tragedy. This is G Jesus, first of all, the name. It's the, it's the most common Jewish name. There is nothing unique, nothing special about the name Jesus. Now, that's hard for us to get behind because today it's like Jesus. Oh, I just like saying Jesus. It feels good. Right? It warms my soul. In his day, it was like saying Bob. Doesn't that give you the warm and fuzzies when you say Bob? Especially when you say it with the Boston accent, Bob. It's a, it has... What does that do for you? Nothing. <laughs> Unless Bob is somebody you know and you love, friend of yours or family member, but this is Bob. And Bob, by the way, is from Nazareth. Nazareth is another place that is a no-name place that is like nothing great comes from Nazareth. It's like saying Bob from Worcester. So it's not only just Bob, but it's Bob from Worcester. 
you know, Worcester is not a destination city. I don't know if you know that, but people don't fly in from all over the world to go to Worcester. Uh, they may go to Boston, but, uh, but not Worcester. So you got Bob from Worcester and he wants to be baptized. Hold on a second. If this man is so great that the baptizer who is so, who has all these followers, who's considered one of the most holy people, is baptizing people who are sinners, and on comes Bob from Worcester who wants to be baptized by this man. Right? So this is like, wait, 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 hold on a second. Why is this happening? You're, the, you're greater than John. You should be baptizing John, if anything. And, and, and what's the selection? It's, it's the Jordan River. That was considered one of the dirty rivers, one of the, you know, it wasn't a place you wanted to go to. It was like, you know, getting baptized in Revere Beach. They've cleaned it up. But, you know, still, it's not like, again, people don't fly in from all over the world to go to Revere Beach. So it's Bob from Worcester who wants to get baptized at Revere Beach. And this is the story. This is the man. This is the Messiah. This is the big guy that's coming to do this. Now, why is Mark making this significant? Like, here's Jesus, this man who discovered, am I, you know, certainly this could be like Joel is making this up to be funny. But if you read the rest of Mark, this is, this is like a constant theme for Mark. He is constantly making Jesus out to be somebody who at the same time is both amazing, very human, very ordinary. But then what happens is the heavens open up and then you hear, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, we might think that Bob from Worcester is an amazing man because he went from zero to hero in a matter of a few years and now is a multi-billionaire and runs all these corporations as a philanthropist and doing so much good for so many people who are impoverished. And now we love Bob. Bob has earned our love. Bob has earned our trust. Bob has earned our respect. But Bob loved before he's done anything at all. And this, my friends, is the absurdity of the gospel. It is that before you have done anything good, before you have earned, before you've gotten anywhere, your identity is that you are loved. Now, why did I flip it from Jesus being loved to you are loved? Because Mark is making this case, as in Jesus, so in you. As in Jesus. This is why when Jesus goes into the desert, first of all, but, but let me just back up. When Jesus is being baptized, the words, this is my beloved son, are the words that God spoke through Moses to Moses about Israel coming out of Egypt. This is my son. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. This is what they, this is what God is saying about Israel as a nation. God is saying this about Jesus as an individual. And Jesus represents the nation, the people, the, the, just the average humans, the average Jew. This is who Jesus is representing and who he is himself. 
And the point that Mark is making is that as in Christ, so in you, you yourself are ordinary and loved. And before you do anything and become anything extraordinary, you are already loved. And so you have to learn as a follower of Jesus to live from love rather than to live for love. Because if we live for love, all kinds of other things step in the way. A lot of mistakes and there are a lot of problems. We're forever trying to prove ourselves. We're forever trying to work hard to earn something that is off in the future that we never quite attain. But the message of the good news of Jesus Christ that Mark says is good news is that before you have done anything, before you are extraordinary, while you are ordinary, you are completely and totally loved and accepted as a child of God. So identity is really important as a starting point. But then the twist, then the spirit of God sends Jesus into the wilderness to be tested and tempted by the devil, by Satan for 40 days. And we say, oh, well, that's the purpose I'm not sure I, I'd, like to, I'd like to have for my life. I, I, I'd, like a, I'd like to name a different purpose if I might. Like the purpose I would like would be something, I don't know, more, more comfortable, more enjoyable, uh, more positive. Uh, but this is the purpose, strangely enough. It's part of the purpose. It's not the purpose. It's part of it. About this part is Jesus is called into the desert just like Israel was called into the desert. That's what Mark is doing. He's comparing the two. And so when he does that, he says, this is what Jesus is called into, just like Israel was called into, just like you and me are called into life. And when we go about our lives, we will go through the same sort of struggles. It's not as though Jesus was called into it because without which he would have never faced temptation or struggle. He would have just gone on being superhuman. But rather that this is exactly what all of us, it is the normal course of our lives is to go through the highs, to go through the lows to go to through times where we feel really close to God, to go through times where we feel really distant from God. This is the human journey. And the call of God is not away from the human journey, not away from what is real to all of us as people, but toward it. Too much of the time in Christianity, we've talked about ways of avoiding suffering, of avoiding difficulty, of sort of living on a plane above where everybody else is. I'm too blessed, brothers and sisters. I fly at an altitude a little bit higher than the rest of you. And so that's the reason why you should tithe and give to my organization because then you might be blessed too. And this is all in attempts to avoid the human journey of actually having things like being betrayed by somebody that you love, by losing somebody you love, by loving and having this wonderful experience of a fairy tale for a moment that feels so wonderful. All of these, 
the downs, the sideways are all part of the human journey. And we are all to be, to live within that and not outside of that, but to live in it with greater purpose and greater identity, to know that we are loved, to know that we are with Christ. You know, I love the last part of that where he says the spirit or the angels came alongside of Jesus and attended him. Now, this is the truth of our experience when we open our eyes and see that heaven is all around us, that the kingdom of heaven is right here, that in the midst of Christ is present in every situation. And so this is what I wanted to start out a series by saying, is that this book answers these two questions of identity and purpose. And that we can enter this life and more fully engage in every aspect of what it means to be human, but to do so with our eyes opened to the truth that heaven is also opening up and all around us and the kingdom of heaven is present and that Christ is present within you and that you are already loved and because you're loved, you can now face is in front of you. I'd like to take a few moments now. And if you would just do this meditation with me, I want you to go back to that part where God speaks from heaven to Jesus and imagine that as you. I want you to imagine you, Bob from Wista, the average you, and do so with a little bit of humor. You, ordinary, average, bumbling, sometimes amazing and sometimes not so much, you. I want you to laugh at your humanity for a moment as you meditate, as you turn back into yourself, that you laugh a little bit at yourself as if you could hold your own self in your hands in the light of God's love. Now you look at yourself with humor, me, who is so average, going into the waters of baptism, and heaven opens up, and God says, you, my daughter, you, my son, you, my child, you're my beloved. I love you, and there's nothing you could do to earn it, so receive it as gift from me. That your identity is always going to be not in trying to be something, or become something, or avoid something. Each time you try on a different personality, each time you try on something new each time you avoid being something bad that you don't like about yourself every single time you work at trying to be something you are losing your identity as sand through your fingers but if you will just open up your hands and relax 
you will know the truth that you are. And being loved does not answer any of your questions that come from your rational mind, but it answers the questions that come from your soul, from your heart. Your identity is your loved. And strangely enough, when you can yield to love, there's a relaxation, there's an ease around the issue of identity. And now, imagine engaging the real life, the desert, the wilderness, the downs, the difficulties, the disappointments. But now you're engaging them different. You're engaging them as one full of love. Knowing that God is with you, Christ is with you. And don't stress out about what it is that you're supposed to do as some grand big thing that's off in the future. You know, Joel, I have all these problems and I'm trying to fix them. And I also want to figure out what my purpose is. You know what your purpose is, my brothers and sisters? It's just do the next thing. Just go through the difficulty, but go through it with your eyes open that heaven is present, that you are loved. And when you do so, you'll be walking the path of Jesus and you won't be able to help but run continuously into the greater purposes that are for you and that are within you.